All right, so we're talking about death. You have those notes from last week, right, at this point? Anthropology. Uh, and uh, we talked about unbiblical views like death. Some people think you cease to exist or you're annihilated or you go through soul sleep or reincarnated, purgatory. So we talked about believers, uh, biblical views. A, the souls of believers go immediately into God's presence, we said. B, the souls of unbelievers go immediately into eternal punishment. C, what about Old Testament believers? You guys all see that. That's where we're at now. What about Old Testament believers? Well, some people have taught that there's a waiting place for Old Testament believers when, the, uh, where they, when they die, they kind of hung out there, like a waiting room, I guess, ER. And uh, they, uh, uh, hopefully it wasn't like the DMV, but they waited there and until Christ finished his work of redemption. They stayed there. Um, what's that? No, it's not, except I, I had my uh, license plate stolen. Oh, Bob, this finished story, I had my license plate stolen. You know that, right? Went to the DMV in Wellesley Chapel, and they didn't charge me anything, and it took only 10 minutes, and I was out of there. I was shocked completely. Free new tag, handed it to me, and hand, they didn't ask any questions, and I said, am I through? Yes. And I wanted to say, are you sure? I'll stay here if you need me to for another couple hours to make sure this is the DMV keeps their reputation, right? You know. Really? Amazing. Yeah. Uh, let me suggest the Wesley Chapel office is really good, by the way. Have you, have you been there? Huh? It's on uh, Pet Lane. Uh, yeah, it would, you go, yeah, well, I go down 54. Where I live, I go down Livingston Avenue, take a right on 54, and you take a left on uh, Wesley Chapel Boulevard, I think they call it nowadays. It's, and it's, it's uh, kind of just past Land of Lakes. Uh, yes. Well, I'm a spokesman for that particular DMV. That DMV is better than anyone I've ever been to. It's the best. I'll, I can give you the address to it. So anyway, these people wait, you know, in this place. And the Catholics hold this. They came up with this, of course. Who else? They call it limbo. Have you ever heard of them talking about that? Some Lutherans hold the idea, too. So they're, you know, limbo is not just the thing. What do they call it? You go into the bar. It's uh, how low can you go? This was, you know, this is their idea. Uh, is that the case? Well, you know, you, you wonder, what does the Old Testament say about this kind of thing? Well, yeah, that's a good, we'll look at that. Uh, Good, good point, Dave. Grudem says not many, and this is true, not many scripture references talk about the state of Old Testament believers after they died, but those that give us any, any, any indication of their state at all point in the direction of immediate conscious enjoyment in the presence of God, not of a time of waiting away from God's presence, okay? And these are very, look at these verses, there's not a lot there honestly, in most cases, but just think through them. Uh, Genesis 5.24, did I put these in your notes, I think? Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. It says nothing at all about limbo or anything else, for that matter. It just simply states that God took him. Um, but it doesn't lead you to believe there's a limbo in that case, you know. 2 Kings 2.11. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into to where? To heaven, right? There's a, in the, there's a slight indication that, there's an indication, obviously he went to heaven, but there's no indication that he's hanging around in some boring waiting room somewhere, you know. Uh, Psalm 23, 6, David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, and so when he dies, he's not talking, he didn't say anything about waiting for Christ to die. He just says he's going to be in the house of the Lord forever. You know, Matthew 20, 30, 23, 32, Jesus quotes Exodus 3, 6. And, uh, you know, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Um, so he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Um, and these three men, were they dead or alive when, when they, in Exodus 3? Uh, were they dead or alive? They were, they were dead by then, right? Um, and so uh, these, you know, but they were spoken of as being alive and being with God in this verse, this reference. That's the indication. They're alive. You know, God's their God. So not, not a time of limbo or anything. And then maybe the best one of all, like I said, there's not a lot on this. Genesis, uh, Luke 16, 25, Dave just made reference. 
Lazarus is carried to where? Abraham's bosom, right? Abraham's side, um, a place where it says he's comforted. So not some place of misery or waiting around or anything like that. And that's, like you said, remember Lazarus is kind of in the position of an Old Testament saint. This is, you know, still under the law when, he's, when Lazarus is around. So that's before Christ's death and resurrection. Lazarus lived and, you know, he's comforted uh, in Abraham's bosom. So no mention of limbo. So it looks like what slight evidence we have. Old Testament believers went straight to be with God, went to be with in heaven. Anybody have any questions about that? Today she'll be with me in paradise. Another one, yeah. Transfiguration, yeah. Um, yeah. There, I thought about that. Yeah. You know, I thought about that passage in relationship to this, but I thought, I didn't know if I had any real, uh, the reason I didn't include it was because um, I could have included today, today would be with me in paradise because uh, I didn't know if I, there was any connection there that was what I was trying to say w with this subject. Do you see, is there a connection there? I, maybe I missed it or I didn't think it through. They're not dead, right, right, right. Yeah, and the biggest thing I'm looking at is, are we wait? Is there a waiting period, or do you go straight to be with God? You know, so maybe you can put that in there as well. I just didn't think it through very good. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they say. I've wondered. I thought about that too, and I thought, wait a minute. Maybe it's better to say, is Abraham's bosom a, a synonym for heaven? I thought about that. Or is it better just to say, well, Abraham? Okay, Abraham was not in the opposite place, you know, the great gulf fixed between the two, Hades, he was on the other side. So clearly he's in a, in a place where people are being comforted. So I think it's safe to say because of that, you know, he's in heaven. Um, I don't know if we can, anyway. All right, let's go on to man and society. Not a lot there, like I say, I just want you to think through it a little bit though. Man and society, it's part of anthropology. Uh, that, uh, what about Old Testament believers? What about their death? Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is ethnicity and nations. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this a lot. Ethnicity and nations. Uh, Answers in Genesis.org has a lot of good articles about this. Uh, Ken Ham. And just let me let you alert, alert you to Ken Ham and Charles Ware. Do you guys, have you heard of Charles Ware? Okay, well, Charles Ware is a black pastor. Ken Ham is a white Genesis, Answers in Genesis guy. And they have paired together on purpose to produce a couple of books like One Race, One Blood, okay? And they have another book called, uh, and this would be one I, one, if I ever get to it one day, I want to read, called Darwin's Plantation, I believe it's called, which is talking about the racist mentality of evolution. It looks like a really good book. If you ever get a chance to read One Race, One Blood, or you're interested in that, it's on Answers in Genesis' website. Um, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the whole world is, you know, all kinds of differences, diverse place, all kinds of different people. And we know that throughout history, people have been mistreated because of their skin color, right? Or their um, different culture or, or whatever reason. On that basis, even Christians have participated in, you know, being mistreating people because of this reason. Um, and what's, what's the bottom line here? Sin, right? People are sinful, and so they, you know, mistreat other people. And, of course, evolution. Let's not forget about our favorite subject, evolution, contributing to the cause of racism as well. By the way, does anybody know the, title, the full title? I don't know if I listed it. The full title, without looking at your paper, the full title of Darwin's main book that he wrote. Does anybody know the full title to it? Or do you know half the title even? Origin of Species starts it off. I think something's evolving out there right now. Origin of species. Here's the first part of it. The origin of species by means of natural selection. Okay? Sounds innocent enough, right? But here's the subtitle. Or, do I have this in your notes? The preservation of favored races and the struggle for life. Huh? Yeah, that's on the, on the book. If you, if you saw, that's, that's the title of the book. Okay, this is part of the title. And back in that, that day, a lot of times they would have subtitles on the book. Like Puritans did this a lot. This is the subject of such and such. Or, and they'd have this long, drawn-out paragraph to complete the title, you know. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why am I racist? Yeah. And Darwin's book has, has or on his title, you can see it for yourself. Look it up. The Preservation of Favored Races. Does that tell us anything right there? And the struggle for life. So it's, it's, he comes out, you know, right out of the, uh, you know, right into the first round throwing his punches about, uh, on concerning racism. He doesn't even waste any time. It's on the title, right? Ken Ham says, Darwinian evolution was and still is inherently a racist philosophy. That's very true. Teaching that different groups or races of people evolved at different times and rates, so some groups are more like their ape-like ancestors than others. So that's what they would say, okay, when we talk about, you know, our origin and our, and uh, when we talk about races, when we talk about society and people and where did all this come from and how did all this develop and all these things, that's what they would say. What does the Bible say, though? Well, turn to Acts 17. Acts 17 is a really interesting section. And, uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure Dave's going to prepare a sermon on this pretty soon. Acts 17, that's your assignment, Dave. <laughs> Verses 22 through 29 right now, Sermon on the Mount. You can call it, I mean, not Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on Mars Hill. You could have a couple sermons, Dave. Sermon on the Mount, and then you can have Sermon on Mars Hill. Okay, well, now you can do Sermon on Mars Hill. That won't take that long. All right, Acts 17, 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the, he's talking on, talking to these Athenians, you know, they're uh, these men of Athens. He stood in the, in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Just want to make sure we get everybody here, right? Uh, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And listen to this verse. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, uh, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. This is his purpose for them. If perhaps they might grope for him, interesting how it puts it like that, and find him, though he's not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said. For we are also his children. Being then children of God, we ought not to think that the divine name is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. So he says uh, he made from one, literally it's one, every nation of mankind. And by the way, when it says children of God, it's talking about not children of God uh, as God's as everybody's savior, but God is everybody's creator in that sense. He's the creator of all as we all came from him in that sense. Um, and uh, the point is here though, we all came from Adam. Well, he's trying to, you ever thought about that? That we, all of us, you know, ultimately stem from Adam. Everybody in the world ultimately did. Um, in MacArthur's book, the guys here say this, Adam, who transcends the ethnic diversity in nations, was the head of the human race. God created Adam and Eve with the genetic ability to produce a multiplicity of races and various skin colors. And it's something I've never thought about a whole lot, but if you think about it, you say, okay, what color was Adam and Eve, you know? And of course, in America, we would say, well, of course, they were white, right? That's what, that's what people thought. What's that? Blonde, blue-eyed. Blonde, blue-eyed. That's right. Um, but he says here, obviously they had the genetic ability to produce a multiplicity of races and so on, skin colors. Another article in, uh, answered in Genesis, a guy named jo George Purdom, is entitled One Race, if you want to read that article called One Race. He says this, I never even thought about this before, <laughs> to, to derive all the different skin, skin shades from one couple, Adam and Eve. Uh, to, to derive skin, different skin shades from one couple, Adam and Eve likely were, likely were middle brown in color. If Adam and Eve had a mixture of light color genes and dark color genes, then their descendants could have a wide range of skin color from very light to very dark, with most people somewhere in between as seen in the world today. Adam and Eve likely possessed genetic variation for eye shape, others distinguishing, you think of Asians, other distinguishing characteristics as well. Um, so that's where... 
these guys land on uh, genetics, which I never really thought given a whole lot. I don't know if you guys have given thought, much thought to that or not. Um, anyway, so we're tracing ethnicity in nations. After the flood, Noah's sons became the focus uh, of worldwide dispersion. Look over at Genesis 9. Really? Wow, I've never heard that before. Yeah, since Adam, yeah, the word the word Adam means mankind or man. That's interesting that they think it means white. <laughs> Maybe they should be teaching Hebrew somewhere, and you know, what they're, I wonder what they're, they get their lexicon from. Uh, anyway, look at Genesis 9.19. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. See, so here, here you go. You're carrying this through. These three, Noah, Ham, Noah, I'm sorry, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, not the three stooges. <laughs> I think of Shem, you know. But uh, anyway, the whole earth was dispersed through them. Look at look, uh, Genesis 9.24. Oh, Genesis 9.24. Okay. <laughs> Listen to this. When Noah awoke from his wine, uh, he knew what his son, youngest son had done to him. This is when he, his, Ham saw the father. I'm sorry. Verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his brothers outside. Verse 24, Noah knew, drink, awoke from his wine, knew what his son, youngest son had done to him, which is a very interesting passage also. But So he said to him, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. And so on, and so it lists all these things about, and it talks about Ham, and you know I was looking up some information about this. Have you guys ever heard that Ham is the father of the, you know, the, the black people were cursed because of, of this? Have you ever heard that? I've heard this. I've heard it several times in my life growing up. I'd hear, and I'd always hear it in church. Well, you know, the black people were cursed because of the passage in Genesis nine, and so on and so forth. And then I was reading the, looking at the ESV Study Bible, and it said this. The note here said this. This passage was wrongly appealed to in past centuries to justify the enslavement of African people, resulting in grievous abuse, injustice, and inhumanity to people created in the image of God. But that's not what this is saying, though. Passages saying Canaanites are going to be judged, you know, when Israel, you know, conquered them in the land of Canaan. Uh, that's what Saul is talking about. So there's no basis for a racism uh, idea here in, in Genesis 9, although people came up with that. And, started spreading it and I've heard Christians speaking kind of more or less in favor of the idea um, in, over the years not recently Genesis 10 and 11 is about the dispersion of the nations uh, look at Genesis 11 1 We're talking about ethnicity and nations the whole earth used the same language and the same words so everybody knows the same language. there's no need to learn another language start thinking about Acts 2 and the, and the, and the speaking in tongues right uh, they tried to make a name for themselves. They all got together to build their whatever they're building. And actually, what they're doing is chapters acting independently of God is what the whole thing is. We don't need God. We're going to do our own thing. And so they they look at Acts 11. I'm Acts 11. Genesis 11:6. The Lord said, "Behold, they are one people. They have all the same language. This is what they begin to do. Now, nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them." So there's a disadvantage. There's a theological disadvantage in everybody speaking the same language in the world. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, his name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So here comes ethnicities being scattered abroad, nations. And you have the, here you have the origin of different languages and different nations. Uh, you can see the, uh, the spread and influence of, of the nations in the Old Testament. You can see what they do, Babylon, and, you know, Syria, and Egypt, and all these nations. And so they spread, and they go out. And then we continue, we come to the New Testament, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. What does Jesus say? Go make disciples of all nations. You know, they're scattered everywhere. They all have different languages. John 3.16, God so loved the world, you know, whatever 
people want to try to twist that to mean. It does say that, nevertheless, okay? Uh, Galatians 3.28, you talk about Christians now. In, in the Christian world, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man, neither male nor, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Just simply saying, he's not eliminating the roles in the church or anything. He's just simply saying we all have dignity before God. We all have, you know, we all have unity before God, that kind of thing. And then Revelation 5.9, Jesus has purchased for God with his blood people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So you go from, you know, this one man, and then the world starts spreading out, and then the, the languages are, are confused, and then people go everywhere, and, that, and then Jesus comes in and says, make disciples of all nations, and then he dies. And people from every nation and tongue come to, come to Christ are saved. So if you're going to, you know, go out today to um, speak to people, somebody has to learn another language to do that. If you go to Honduras, Bob, somebody's got to learn Spanish if you're going to go there permanently to speak to them, or if you're going to go to Russia, you've got to learn Russian or whatever it is. And there's different dialects in every nation. Every nation has all kinds of dialects and all kinds of stuff going on. So uh, that's the way it is. Uh, any questions about that? Ethnicity and nations is just part of anthropology. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. And you can't help but think about Acts 2 when you think about when you read this, you know, if you're looking ahead. All right, let's go to human government. We're talking about anthropology, a study of mankind. So human government is part of this study. Uh, Genesis, uh, go to Genesis 6-9, maybe the, may the first law uh, established by God, uh, governmental type law. Um, Genesis 6-9, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 9-6, not 6-9. Yeah, and so... This is capital punishment taught. But there's a reason why. So people ask the question, well, does that apply to this day? Because that's Genesis 9, 6, you know. Does that apply to now? And I, and I would say yes. And what is the reason why? What's the, yeah, because we're made in God's image is the reason. So it's a universal principle. Because everybody's made in God's image. And does, do people stop being made in God's image? They don't. So it's a universal principle for all time. And then it carries over into Romans 13 when he says, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. What's the sword used for? Basically to kill people. <laughs> not bearing that sword in vain. He'll use it if he has to, even to put you to death. Okay? So it's not anything has been eliminated. So you see that law, and then you see laws. You go into Exodus 20 through 23, and you see laws laid down for Israel, different laws that apply to that nation. And then you go to Judges, and you see what? What do you see in Judges? Yeah. But, and what's the... What's the, uh, what would we call that society? A what society? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So we tend to call it a lawless society, right? We'd say they don't have, this is what society is like when people aren't obeying laws. You have a judge's situation on your hands. And so, you know, and so you have people, you know, every, you have these people screaming about the police this and the police that, they hate the police. When I'm all dead and all this stuff. Well, I wish, and some, there's part of me that wishes that those who are screaming for this could have their wish for a period of time. Maybe a week. Go without law enforcement in your, in your area for a week and see what happens. You're going to have complete and total breakdown of society and chaos everywhere. Murder, mayhem, theft, everything else is going to happen. Except for in Dave's area. Everybody has a gun in their house. So, you know, it's very important. The king, now, the, you go to the kings of Israel. They ruled in Israel. Uh, what did they call that? Okay, well, before, before the kings of Israel, really, what did they call Israel? What did they call the rule, the government in Israel? What's it, what's it term? How do we term that? Before the kings ruled. What's that? No, no. Well, yeah, yeah. There was judges, but there's a word that describes the whole... Yeah, theocracy. Theocracy is theo, theos, God. Yeah, 
So God is the king, a rule under God, and Israel is ruled under God. And then the kings come on. There's a monarchy, you know, because the kings are ruling. However, it's a monarchy under God still. So in that sense, it could be it's still a theocratic nation under God with the, with the king as ruler. Um, but every every nation, the Old Testament had some form of government, and and everybody ever since then, you go to any nation, there's somebody in charge, and they may be the most corrupt nation on the planet. Somebody's in charge of the nation because they have to have something. Uh, so I well, I landed in when Mike and I landed in Myanmar, this airport. I just thought of this. Um, there's as soon as you get out of the airport, and there's no luxury anything going on there. You walk a long distance out in the middle of nowhere to this next building that's not all that great. And uh, there's a big sign that says, oh, anybody that's caught dealing with drugs is going to be persecuted by the government, prosecuted. Well, I've read that the very cell, and back then, there's supposedly uh, this freedom leader these days, I guess, that's in charge, but there was this, they were ruled by a military junta, and these guys were totally corrupt, and my guess is it's still ruled that way, really, and just putting that there for the world to see that it doesn't appear to be that way. And I read these guys were the ones that were in control of the drugs. <laughs> so they got this sign. We don't tolerate anybody in this country. And the first thing I saw was a guy pull up on a Toyota pickup truck with two military guys in the front uh, of the truck. Uh, obviously, on the, on the one side was the, the guy with the bigger uh, rank. And in the back, in the truck, there was a machine gun mounted. I've seen this on TV. Now I saw it in real life. With a guy standing behind it in the Toyota. And I remember Dave, saying, Dave uh, Sprott saying, you know, they use those Toyotas in foreign countries and they mount those machine guns on them. And I saw it. <laughs> and I thought of what Dave said. I thought, yeah, it's interesting. But those guys had a government, even though it was totally corrupt. They still had a government. Uh, uh, and Jesus talked about it. Look over in Matthew 22. Um, you know, Jesus, uh, one thing I don't think we always think about, you know, Jesus himself, he uh, lived under a government. He lived in the Roman Empire, right? The Roman system of government. And he endorses the government. Look at Matthew 22, 15. Uh, the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap Jesus in what he said. And they said, sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know you are truthful and teach the way of God and truth. Defer to no one. You're not partial to anybody. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to, get, to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said, Whose likeness inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, to God the things that are God's. That's an interesting answer. They didn't expect that answer at all. And it's interesting that he said that. He endorses the Roman government. So, yeah. I, I, when I read this now, I'm looking at it because the, the, the Jews weren't all that fond of, you know, Roman government and all this. And, and, you know, everybody was a lot of times upset with that. And here Jesus says, hey, Caesar has a right to accept certain things. You know, we, we should do this. You know? And he says it elsewhere in, in the Gospels, too. And so does Paul. Look at Romans 13. It's not just Jesus. Paul says, yeah, you're right. We have to have government. And in fact... Uh, there's, there's theology involved in government. <laughs> Romans 13, 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, right? Or the higher powers, King James, which I think it really says, the higher powers. There's no authority except from God. Those exist, which are, those exist are established by God. Whoever resists authority is opposed to the ordinance of God. Now we're bringing strongly God into this picture. And they, have, who, they, they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear, but good behavior. I'm sorry, for good be, they're not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, you'll have praise from the same. You notice the people who are always complaining about the authorities, the law, and all that, the law enforcement people, they're the ones committing all the crimes. There's a reason why you're upset with them all the time. You're committing crimes. Verse 4, it's a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. Yes, it does not bear the sword for nothing. It'll kill you if it has to. It's a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. It's his God-ordained authority to do that. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. By the way, in verse 6, we should pay taxes also. For rulers are servants of God. 
devoting themselves to this very thing, render all to what is due, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, give to Caesar the things that are his and to God the things that are his, and that's how it is. So you have all these you know, ideas of the government. Look over, and, and Peter endorses it. Look at 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 2, rather. First, you see it throughout the scripture, 1 Peter 2.13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Here we go again. The praise of the one who does right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the full, uh, ignorance of foolish men. So all these guys endorsed the Old Testament starts it. Jesus picks it up. Paul says to, to obey the government. Peter says the same thing. What do these verses teach us? Number one, they teach us that God has established human government. God, God came up with that idea. He, look, this whole, none of us can live in a society long without some kind of governing situation. We'll probably kill each other, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in John, I think it's John 18, uh, Jesus said, if uh, my servants were of this world, they would fight. But they're not. They're of, you know, the kingdom of God. So they're not, I don't want them to fight. Um, so we learned that God has established human government. Secondly, God has been given the job of, government has been given the job of punishing evildoers. That's, all these people out there crying about the government, punishing evildoers, that's their job from God. Sorry, you're arguing with God now, okay, ultimately. Number three, God is the God-given, a government has the God-given right to exercise capital punishment. We said that basically. Four, all people are subject to human government. Everybody is, not just some people. Not just Christians either. Everybody's subject to them. Number five, citizens should pay their taxes. It says it very plainly more than once. Six, government is God's servant. Now we talk about they're God's servant. Does that mean these people are all upstanding you know, they meet the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, and they love God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and they... No. The fact of the matter is, that here's the thing. It says all this, and these, are all th these things are all true, but government officials are what? Like the rest of us. Sinners. They're sinners like, that need a Savior just like everybody else in the world. And so governments, as a result of that, governments are going to be corrupt to some degree or another. They're going to be. Every one of them is going to be. Ours is going to be to some degree or another. And, we, we, and none of us know to what degree that is. We'll never know. We'll hear things on the news media. The media's always saying a bunch of stuff. Half the stuff you said that the media says you can't even believe anyway. They're lying constantly and they're spreading their biases and all this stuff. So nobody really knows, ultimately. North Korea is an extreme example of a corrupt government, okay? Um, and other governments throughout the world are on some on the, on the scale or somewhere, uh, some degree of corruption or another. And governments, make, they make mistakes too. And they make wrong calls at times. They're people. But that doesn't mean we get rid of it and say, well, we can't have government. We can't have law enforcement because we will have nothing. We'll have a chaotic society run amok and that'll be, and it'll be the end of society as we know it. All right, so that's uh, what is covered normally in anthropology. Does anybody have any questions or comments about that. Okay. So we'll start on the next subject. Do you guys want to? What's that? Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting, Bob. I never heard. I didn't. Wow. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and by the way, if you're a married couple, you're welcome to your own copy. I'm not. In Sunday school, for some reason, they have this thing to where when they come by and give me an insane copy, they only give us one copy. I'm like, okay, that's fine. It's just that. You're welcome to your own personal copy of the notes here. It's not a problem at all. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody got their own anyway. It doesn't matter. So we're talking about 
um, anthropology. Now we're talking about homardiology. What's homardiology? We'll talk about that in a second more. Why do we say homardiology? We'll talk about that in a second more too. But the word homardiology is sin, basically. Study of sin, okay? What does the Bible say about sin? That's a huge subject. We know the Bible says a lot about sin. Uh, first of all, let's have a definition of sin. Uh, let me ask you at the outset before we start this, how would you define sin? Try to give me as best you can a theologically def uh, precise, biblical precise definition of sin. How would you define sin? We talk about sin all the time. He's a sinner. This guy's sin. What is it? What, 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 how do we define it, though? What's that? Okay. It's pretty good. That's a pretty good definition. Falling short of the glory of God. Okay. What's that? Breaking of God's law. Breaking of God's law. And there's, there's a pattern being developed already in your answers. But they're both good, they're both good answers, though. The pattern is still holding true. That's good true. That's true, too. That's a good answer. Sandy's going to have something that's S-I-N, like an acrostic <laughs> or something. Ah, there you go, another one. Him that knows to, to do good and doesn't do it is sin. That's another uh, part of it, okay. And uh, Dave will be giving you the full definition later on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. But I, your definition of sin, well, it depends on who you ask. What is sin, you know? And today there's, there's different ways that people look at this. There's popular views that are given. And I'm going to tell you four of these views. Uh, one thing people say is human beings are basically good. You've heard people say that? I've heard it. Oh, they're basically good, you know. And, and what, do, what do people say if you, use the, if you ever use the uh, Ray Comfort approach to evangelism? What do they tell you? Okay, that or, or they'll say, oh, I'm a good person. Are you a good person? Oh, I'm a good person, yeah. They all say that. Most people say that. But the old notion that in their case, in their minds, it's, that people are sinners, that's an obsolete thing. There's, you know, this, we have modern technology now you know, that we've advanced. We have the, we're enlightened now. You know? We have inventions now that are, are greater. We have education and we have technology and science and all these things. So basically, uh, these things tell us that people are good. You know? They're coming up with all this stuff all the time. And uh, there's only one problem with this view that people are good. What's the problem? Okay, that's one problem. But the other problem is the history of mankind up to the present day tells us a different story. And that's not what I've been seeing out of myself and others. What I've been seeing is not so good, you know. Uh, I've been seeing bad stuff happen, as a matter of fact. This morning we all got the, I, I got into my house, uh, the, uh, what's it called, Amber Alert. Somebody kidnapped somebody, okay. And we heard it in Sunday school, somebody's phone went off. Uh, we, we live in a society that's bad. I mean, you think about throughout history, evil that's been propagated throughout history, wars, uh, cruelty from shown by one person to another, uh, the pride of people, the arrogance of people, the impatience of people, the violence of people, rebellion of people. It goes on and on and on all the way to the present day. And uh, so history proves to us one thing. No, we're not all that great, actually. We're pretty bad. We're sinful, okay? Uh, and then number two, a lot of people say think that human, this is a big one, human beings are basically products of their environment. Well, you have to understand I grew up this way, and so, you know, I grew up in this bad section of town, therefore I'm this way. That's the reason why. So what, what are they doing when they say that? Same thing uh, Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3, right? They're doing what? Shifting the blame to something else? Or however you want to say it. There's no word I'm looking for here. Uh, you know, I grew up in a poor neighborhood, uh, and therefore I act this way. You know, I was near crime all my life. I was around drugs, therefore I act this way. I didn't have a father. I was poorly educated. We've talked about it in this church, because we were living in a society today where people, they, they don't grow up with, with fathers a lot of times, you know. We have people in our church that didn't grow up with a father. So we can say their behavior is blamed on circumstances, or, uh, you know. Uh, and I would say that an environment, I would say this, I've thought about this a lot. Environment does have an influence on us, okay? We grew up, however we grew up has an influence on us. But we can't blame the way we are on that, okay? We have to take responsibility. And then thirdly, people talk about right and wrong being relative terms. 
Well, there's no standard of right or wrong, people say. That's, when people say that, if you get them to think about this for a minute, you know, you know I determine what's acceptable. Uh, my circumstances determine what is acceptable, uh, and that can change. Uh, you know, my circumstances today determine what is acceptable for me, what's right and wrong. But that can change tomorrow. My circumstances change, then my sense of morality may change with it, because morality is a flexible thing, and uh, you can't pin it down. And what's wrong today may be wrong, may not be wrong tomorrow. What's wrong for you may not be right, wrong for me. I, people have said that too. Well, if it's okay for you, but maybe not for me. And so, yeah, I thought of the scripture that Mike quoted this morning. What are those who call evil good and good evil? Because they're always, you know, everything's relative all the time. Um, Isaiah 5:20 is that reference, by the way. Go ahead. That's true. Uh, that's true. Uh, and uh, if you, uh, yeah, years ago, and uh, there's there were there were laws against homosexuality, definitely. And now now you don't have that, of course, but. But still, there's a law today. Tell the people that made the laws, tell the, tell the police officer when you, break, when you steal something out of a store, tell him that everything's relative. Well, this doesn't hold true for me because I don't feel like this is my standard and see how far you get with that, you know? Because he says, no, we have a standard in society. It's called the law. Now, there's a reason why there's laws, okay? And then four, sin's an unpleasant, su unpleasant subject. We don't want to talk about that because today we teach people to be proud of themselves, this is why people are taught this growing up in school. Have self-esteem. Now, I understand that you, you don't want to go around, you know, thinking that I'm a miserable human being to the point I can do nothing, I can't even function, I can't even do anything at all, I'm totally, completely worthless, you know, to society. I'm not saying you should go around like that. But people today are being taught to build their self-esteem. You're somebody, you know, and when I worked with the, uh, when I quit, I tell you what, I had a revelation. I worked all my life in the blue-collar world with men who had families, okay? And then when I quit that job to go to the seminary thing, I went, did a part-time job at Target also. I was working part-time here at the church and going to seminary, okay? And I learned, as, as I switched from working with people who were actual men who had families to people in their 20s at Target, I learned a big lesson uh, about things and uh, they all thought, well, I, I'm somebody, you know? First of all, they didn't have a work ethic. I could tell you a lot of things about this. <laughs> I'm like, what happened to the generation? What, 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 what just, ha what happened? I, you guys, well, I told some of them, you know, you, you told me that you wanted, you needed money and you wanted to get it and you have to have a paycheck every week, yeah? Well, you're not showing up for work half the time. And when you do, you get here late and all. So you're not going to get a paycheck unless you show up and actually work while you're here. You know, I told some of these people that because <laughs> it was like, look, I tell them because I get a chance to witness to them. You know, I want you to be here, but you're not going to be here if you don't come to work because they're going to fire you. I told a guy that one time, and he was fired next day or two. Uh, but they didn't. They didn't. They, but they, they they were full of themselves though. They thought, hey, I got to have self-esteem. I'm somebody. I'm this. I'm that. And I'm like, no, you're not so great. Okay, don't think that. Um, but Today, you know, it's politically incorrect to say, to say things that people are sinners. It's hate speech and all that. But that's how the world sees things. Um, there's a statement in this book right here. Uh, uh, it says this, of the Bible, 66 books. This is, you talk about the, the prevalence of the doctrine of sin in, in the Bible. Of the Bible, 66 books and 1,189 chapters, only four chapters, he says, do not mention sinners, sinners. I might even take debate with that. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 stand alone as unique chapters that rehearse the creation before sin and the new heaven and new earth, which will never be infected by sin. The rest of the Bible from Genesis 3, 1 to Revelation 20, 15 abounds with themes of human sin and the need for salvation. So sin is a major doctrine, without a doubt. And I've all, I myself have always said if there's one thing the Bible teaches is that we're sinners. And if there's one thing I've experienced in life is that we're sinners. And I've seen it very clearly in my own life and everybody else's. How anybody can deny this, I have no idea. Now, why do we say homardiology? That's the word the theologians use to describe sin. It's the study of sin. Why is that? Is there any words that 
lead us to believe this, Bob? That <laughs> the word sin in English. The, the word, the word hamartia is where they get the word hamartiology from, which means sin. Synology, yeah, right. Synology. So hamartiology is the study of sin. But actually, the Bible uses several terms to describe sin. And these all fall under that umbrella of homardiology. And I gave you a list, right? These are some of the terms. These are not even all the terms. But let me just give you some of the terms that are used to describe sin. And, and all of you guys said one of these terms, or that, that answered earlier, by the way, basically. It can, sin can mean to miss the mark or to err. In other words, if a guy was shooting an arrow and missed the target, that's, that's the description of sin. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All have missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. Somebody can someone look up Judges 20:16 very quickly. I love this verse. This has no, you think well, this has nothing to do with sin whatsoever, but it does. Judges 20:16. If you want to get an illustration of sin, Dave, in your sermons or anything else, here's here's one right here. Yeah, and that word there, I believe, miss is is the word for missing the mark for sin okay so these guys were so good with slingshots they didn't miss the mark they, they with left-handed they got it every time but those who sin uh, the same word they missed they missed the mark that God has set a mark of holiness right target of holiness we miss every time so um, that's that's a, that's a verse that can illustrate it uh, so you can have that one that's one meaning that's only one meaning of this whole concept of sin. To rebel, somebody says, is to be. Isaiah 1-2, when God's describing the sick, uh, the uh, uh, Israel as a nation as almost like a sick man, he says, but they have rebelled against me. They've rebelled against me. Um, it can be C, transgress or pass over. Numbers 4-14-41, Moses said, why then are you transgressing? There's the word. The command of the Lord, I try to I try to keep the Hebrew and Greek words at a limit here. Why, why, why then are you transgressing the command of the Lord when it will not succeed? You're not going to succeed transgressing, crossing the line. God set a line. You can't. You cross that line, you're not going to succeed. Uh, Judges 2.20, these people have transgressed my covenant. I commanded their fathers. They haven't obeyed my voice. So when you cross the line that God set, that's transgression, that's sin. D, the word unrighteous or unjust injustice is used. Justice and righteousness the same idea in the Bible. Uh, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, there's the word, of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, there's the word again. So sin is unrighteousness. E, it can be wandering or straying. Uh, normally the idea of being deceived or led astray, uh, that's used in 2 Timothy 3.13, for example. Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived both times. Deceived is the word planao, which is I think comes from planets that go off course, from their course or something like that. Um, but deceiving and being deceived. And then F, lawlessness, that's rejecting God's law. First um, John 3, 4 says, uh, one good definition of sin, sin is lawlessness. It just says it flat out, right? Uh, G, disobedient, is another idea for this. Uh, to be willfully obstinate towards God's will is to be this way. Romans 11.31, uh, it talks about the Jews and Gentiles. You know, the Jews, uh, you know, Gentiles were grafted into the tree. Uh, for Verse 30 says, just as Gentiles were once disobedient to God, verse 31, so Jews have also now become disobedient, so Gentiles can enter in. So the word, the word is disobedient, disobedient to God, okay? And then H, ungodliness, or wickedness, or impiety, same idea, Jude, Jude 18. Last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. I, somebody said, breaking the law. I think Dave said that. That's one of the definitions, breaking God's law we're talking about, deviating from God's law. Romans 2.23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, okay? We're talking about breaking the law in society, but now we're talking about breaking God's law, which... Laws in society, ultimately, God's over those two. Not an exhaustive list here, but you can see that sin has this multidimensional nature to it, okay? 
It's not just one. So I said, what's the definition of sin? And everybody said something different. All were true, but all were, uh, it's not just the one thing, okay? You can't sum it up in one word or one concept. And uh, people are starting to come in, so I might hang it up here. Let me just go over this real quick. People have tried to come up with one word to uh, put as a foundation to sin. Or what they try to do is they'll, they'll say this. Well, there's one sin that's foundational to all other sins. Have you heard this or talked about this? There's one sin that's foundational to all other sins, and it is this sin right here, and they'll name a sin. Okay? And the one that's normally named is pride. And Augustine said this, Pride was at the heart of sin because it is the motive behind man's attempt to live in his, power, in his life in the power of self. It's the motive behind all we do. So a lot of people think that, well, pride's the basis of all sin. Uh, and they'll use verses like Proverbs 6.16. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed in the blood, innocent blood. The first one is haughty eyes. So the first sin mentioned is pride. So that's the basis of everything, right? Um, that's foundational to everything. The problem is it doesn't make that point in the Bible ever. It never says that. It never says pride is the foundation for all sins. It never says it anywhere. Um, and so... I don't see how we can say it as a result because the problem is sin's multidimensional, as you all told us in your answers, okay? And there are other lists in the Bible that don't even mention pride or mention it last. It doesn't mention it first. So, for example, look at look over at Galatians 5. We'll look at we'll probably uh, go to Galatians 5. We'll quit in a minute here. This was brought up by Grudem and MacArthur in, in the, uh, this idea of uh, is there a sin like that's at the core or heart of all other sins, you know. They brought it up, so I'm going over it. Galatians 5.19, tell me if the, what the first sin is. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are pride, immorality, right? Impurity, sensuality, idolatry. In fact, you look through this whole list, I don't think the word pride is mentioned, is it? Now some would say, well, pride's behind all these things, but it doesn't mention it at all. Is the problem, and then you go to other lists. Go to go to uh, Colossians three five. We will quit with this point. Colossians three five. People are starting to walk in. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Here goes another list of sin. You'll see this every once in a while. First sin is immorality again. Impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Okay, and then one more list. Look at Mark seven. Mark 7, 21, Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil, proceed what? What's the first sin? Evil thoughts. Fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. Why is that so far down on the list? Should have been first. I'm just saying that pride is prevalent, sin, without a doubt. And these you know, affect other sins. Sins affect each other, okay? Um, but is there a basis for one? I don't, I don't think so. All right, we'll go ahead and quit there since uh, the AV guy just walked in.